Jonah 1, verses... I'll actually uh, teach on 8 through 10, but we'll read 7 through 10. So Jonah 1, verses 7 through 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jonah, his life, and his uh, uh, record here. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see and learn from his example. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We start in 8 here, and they say, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? They pummel him with questions. And really, another way of saying this is, who are you? I mean, they're just really kind of puzzled by this guy. It's a mystery to him, to these sailors, as to why he's on their ship and why this is happening to them. They ask five questions. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? So it's whose... What, where, what, what, right? So they ask these, all these W questions. Who's, what, where, what, what? He answers only the last question, if you notice. They ask him, and of what people are you? So he says to them, I am a Hebrew. So he answers one of their five questions, the last one. That's typical. I've just been hit with a lot of questions. I don't even remember those other questions. What you said last is what I answer. But then, in a sense, he answers all of their questions that they might have not even asked when he says the next sentence, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah believes now this has answered their many questions, and it probably has. Jonah doesn't have to answer all of the many questions that they ask, not all those detailed nitpicky questions. He's told them who he is. He's told them the sum total of who he is. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the maker of the sea and the dry land. Then they ask another question, don't they? Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? See, that is what intrigues us as people. The what's and the where's and all that. They're just facts. Why is what's important. Why is what gets to who you really are. As a matter of fact, I remember once hearing an icebreaker that was recommended for people in Christian studies. And they, they said, you can pretty much ask any question as the first question. Who is the person you most want to meet when you get to heaven? Uh, 
who, you know, you can ask any of these fact questions, but if you then ask why, you go deeper. But we tend not to do that. We tend to get caught up in the what's and the who's and the where's. Why? Because it's safe. It's safer up there. You're not getting to who people are when you're asking them all those questions. What people are you? Where are you from? What is your occupation? But they want to know now, why? Why have you done this? I think, in part anyway, they admired him. At the end, it says that they had already learned that he, had, he was running from God. So they're thinking, what kind of man is so brazen to defy and run from the maker of the seas and all the dry land? They're somewhat in awe of this guy. And they want to know why, why, what is so important that would cause you to do this? Now let me change gears a little bit. I'm going to go to Numbers 32, verse 23. Moses is warning the tribes that want to remain and have their homeland east of the Jordan that they are to fulfill their word. They've given their word that they will go and help the western tribes conquer the peoples such that they can then have that land. And Moses warns them, do what you promised. And he says this, if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I'm sure many of us know that phrase from the Bible, be sure your sin will find you out. And we might not remember that it was taken in this context. Are there any more truthful words in all of Scripture. Be sure your sin will find you out. We so want to hide our sin from ourselves, from others, from God, but yet God assures us our sin will find us out. Now, I want to give an illustration, and the first thought that popped into my head was an illustration from long, long ago, but it was of someone else. And I thought, oh no, that would be a cop-out. I have plenty of illustrations from my own life, and actually it was from the same time frame, and maybe that's why it then popped into my head. But I was a young believer. I probably hadn't been a believer more than a year, and I was on base, and I was up for whatever reason. I believe it was early one Saturday morning, and I'd already driven somewhere on base to the main part of the base, and I was returning. And, you know, Saturday morning, it's probably 8 a.m. or something. It's not a lot of people, maybe even earlier. But I was coming across, and in the middle of the road, I see something. And you could tell that it's like a book. And so the pages are fluttering. I stopped my car right there. It's really remote. It's a bad magazine. I'll just say that. So, of course, I can't leave that bad magazine laying there where anybody can find it. So I take the bad magazine, and I put it on my passenger seat. Drive along. I probably have another eight or nine miles to go to my base, to my barracks. So I head up the road, and I turn, and now there is a little rest area of all things, and there's a trash can sitting right next to a picnic table next to that rest area. This is all on base. I drive past it. I remember thinking to myself, Rod, do the right thing. Go in there. God has given you that to throw that bad magazine away. But I didn't. I went on. And wouldn't you know, 
I'm driving along, and I top this little knoll, and right ahead of me, there's a temporary inspection point. All these Marines are out there. But probably about half a dozen Marines are there. And I'm the only person. I mean, it's like, you know, 7.38 in the morning. There's nobody around at that time. But they're trying to catch people returning late from partying the night before who were, like, passed out in their car in a parking lot somewhere and are now blearily driving back to base. Here I am with my sunbird, my Pontiac sunbird, with the uh, rainbow sticker in the rear window in the center with a big cross sticking out of it, with a picture of Jesus over here on the left corner, with a picture of Satan over here on the right corner, with a bumper sticker saying, are you ready for the rapture? (laughs) And I top that hill and I see them about a quarter mile off and I think, I could turn around, go do the right thing, go throw that bad magazine away. But then they'll think I'm running from them and they'll chase me. So you're thoroughly humiliated. I pull up to that stop, just get out of the vehicle, step to the back of the vehicle, step to the back of the vehicle. This young guy gets in there. I'm thinking, oh, great. So he gets out, lets me go on my way, probably had a story to tell his fellow Marines after that. But I remember thinking to myself, God wanted to humble me today. He wanted to humiliate me today. And he did a good job. I think many of us have experienced stuff like that or will. Because your sin will find you out. God gave me the opportunity to do the right thing. And yet in my, in my sin, I refused to. And so then I bore the consequences of it. Just a moment of humiliation, but still, it's real, memorable. That was 32 years ago. I remember it vividly. I'll never forget that. And see, it ties in to our story. What is it that's going on here? They say to him, tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? All these questions. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He is being humbled. Jonah is having his nose rubbed in his faith because he's now in the midst of a rebellion against the God that he says he fears and loves. And yet he's running from him. This doesn't make sense. These people who are looking at him are thinking, well, you know, there's something wrong here. Just like that Marine, if he were to look at me, there's something wrong with you. He sees me drive away and sees all my Christian paraphernalia on my back window. So there was something wrong with Jonah. Jonah is willfully, at this point, defying God's clear direction. And yet... He says to them, I fear the Lord. And it's true. Jonah is this person that fears the Lord. He is this person that's running away from the Lord in disobedience. I was the Christian that's on fire for the Lord. And yet I was the Christian that was caught out in my intended sin. So see, both of these actions for me and Jonah reflect our true character. They reflect who we are, who we want to be, 
very real. And so that's why it's important that we all recognize and we all accept the fact that to some degree, to be a faithful Christian, you must be somewhat hypocritical. You've got to honor and uphold a standard that you can't possibly reach. Because of that, we err in two ways. We lower the standard. I can achieve that. That must be where God really wants the standard to be. Now I'm holy, right? That's what many people do. You just lower the standard to something that you can achieve. That must be what God means by be perfect as I am perfect, be holy as I am holy. That's what it means. Yeah, okay. Now I'm comfortable with myself, but I'm just fooling myself. The other error that we can make is that we can pretend that we meet even the high standard. Lie to ourselves and others. Wash away our true sins. But the path of righteousness is to acknowledge that we fail. Uphold God's standard, but yet acknowledge that we fall short. But don't change that standard. Don't, don't reduce it to something that is attainable in your flesh. That's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to learn humility. He wants you to accept the fact that you cannot achieve perfection on this earth, that you cannot be holy as he is holy apart from Christ and his sacrifice on your behalf. So now let's uphold the standards that we honor in the table. We honor Christ here. We don't honor ourselves. And so as we come to the table, let's be humble. Let's admit our failures. Let's acknowledge them. We don't have to accept them. We fight against them. We struggle against them. But we acknowledge them. Father, we thank you. You do accept us in perfection because you have perfected us through Christ. It is not that you accept the imperfect. It is not that you are happy with the imperfect. As a matter of fact, totally the opposite. You had to perfect us in order to make us acceptable. And so we thank you, Father, for having done so. And we pray now that you would have us to uh, acknowledge who we are, to not be ever comfortable with that, but to not hide it either and attempt to be proud and self-righteous. We thank you, Lord, for this table and for your goodness and grace. In Christ's name, amen.